Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Okay. I trust you. If you say you're good, you're good. I'm Joseph Aiken, one of the pastors here on staff. I am excited to be here uh, and preach this word to you. We are in this series called Testing God. Everybody say Testing God. So if you wasn't here last week, last week was the first week that we did this, where we're looking and walking through the rise and the fall of our boy Gideon, right? His reluctancy, um, his inadequacy, and him putting faith in himself, thinking he's not good enough, and he's not. Right? He wasn't good enough. He's not good enough. But God is more than adequate enough to allow him to handle it. Right? And so that's where we kind of went and went and having our faith in who God is, trusting God through his promises and what he said he would do. He'll do it. And so I did something last week. And so for those of you who don't know, this is our questions, right? This phone number will be up here. You can text questions, whatever questions, on topic, off topic. We like your, we like your questions. Last week, I admitted that I wanted your questions. And you know how many questions I got? Zero. <laughs> then James had to make up some questions. So, but, you know, it's fine. You know, if you don't want to send me questions, when I tell you I want your questions, I should have been saying I want questions from the beginning. That way I didn't have to worry about answering your questions at all. But, no, if you, if you have any questions, for real, though, like, we want to answer your questions. Anything comes up. But if you happen to be just so captivated and you forget to ask your question, you can ask it later, too. So just take the number down so that you can do that. If you just want to say hi, Joseph, you can do that just so you have it in there. But um, so last week, we, we've kind of finished with me talking about this idea that faith has this aspect of risk to it. Right. Risking something like risking a part of us and stepping out on who God is. And I was telling the story about my daughter jumping into the swimming pool from the deep end. And then it got me to thinking like, what are areas in my life where I've taken risk? I think the biggest risk for me was getting married uh, almost two decades ago. Um, that was a big risk. I proposed to my wife when, at the time she was my girlfriend, when we were, she was she had just on her 19th birthday is when I proposed. I was 20, about to turn 21, and I remember this was like the risk, right? But in my mind, it wasn't really a big risk because I knew what she was going to say, and so I was ready. So it didn't even matter because it's like I got all this under control, right? The environment, I took it to the first place. We had our first date, first held hands, first kid, like all those things. Check. In a bag. I'm controlling this situation. Wasn't worried about it. I knew that she would say yes. But I had, we had talked about it. You know, I had spent time with her enough to know that her yes was going to be a yes when I asked her this question. No doubt in my mind. And this is us. I found that this is us is that... We, can, we tend to be afraid to risk things for God because of the things that we might lose, right? I didn't mind risking this question and the embarrassment of her maybe saying no because I was in control. I knew her. I mean, yes, we were young, but I also was confident in me, myself, and I, and all that comes in this package, right? I was confident in that. I was confident in me, and we tend to be confident in ourselves, and therefore, we are afraid, and we lack, and we're not able to risk. And the first reason I see that we do this is because we want control. And so we fear risking it all for, to God, for God, and what he's called us to do, and listening to the things that he tells us to do, because we want to be in control. We know us best. I spend all this time with me, God. I know how it should work. And so when you're not doing the things that I want you to do, like, God, I'm praying to you, and you're not moving and maneuvering in my life like I want you to move, move and maneuver. And so I'll go ahead and take this into my own hands. 
The second reason that we're afraid to risk it all for God is we might lose relationships. When I went to Sierra's parents, like, there were no healthy marriages around me growing up. None. Zero. I hadn't experienced one healthy relationship. So I didn't know what to expect. All I knew was what I saw on TVs and read in books and different things like that. And I knew that whenever you propose to your wife or your, your future wife, you're supposed to go to the parents and ask for like their blessing or whatever it is you ask for. So I went to Sierra's parents. I said, hey, my mom already knew and she was cool with it. She loves Sierra. I went to Sierra's mom and dad. And I remember them being in their bedroom, sitting on the bed. Her dad was laying down. And I was kind of scared, 19 years old, kind of scared of her dad. I'm like, look, I'm, about, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm about to ask this man to marry his daughter. And, and he has four girls, five girls. He has five girls, two boys. And I'm about to ask, and none of them were married at the time. And it was just a lot going on. Like, and he already, I felt he didn't like me. Like whenever I come over, he was always looking at me. And we had only been together for 11 months. We were young. It's all these different aspects. And I'm like, whew, what is he going to say? Her mom, though, she loved me. She was the one hugging on me all the time. Every time I came over, do you need this? Cooking meals. She sometimes made my plate. She spoiled me. So I'm thinking, she's great. Her dad, not so much. But I'm going to ask for the blessing because I guess that's what you're supposed to do. And I was scared of the relationship and how it would change. And so I went to him. I said, hey, I'm going to ask Sierra. I have the ring. I showed him the ring, all this kind of stuff. Her dad looked at me. He jumped up out of the bed and gave me a hug. I think that was the first time her dad ever gave me a hug. Like, he was like, oh, yeah, this is great. Take her. Almost like he was just pushing <laughs> What's now to know, right? <laughs> Take her kind of thing. Her mom, though, flipped. Like, the one that loved me, she was the one like, are you sure? And she was the one questioning. And, and, and I, I can, graceful for those that don't know, we've been together, you know, this whole time. Like I said, almost 20 years since then, we've been together. But, but in that, I was scared of the relationship and how it would shift and how it would change and what they thought, which takes us into the last one of livelihood. Like, we, we fear risking it all for God, giving God every aspect of us, wherever we go and what we're doing because we're scared of what people will really think about us and how they'll react to us and, and how, how they start looking at us differently on our jobs or how our family will look at us. Because and, and, my family, to be honest, Sierra comes, we both come from Austin, east side of Austin, grew up, come from broken homes in a sense, if you was to look at our lives. And so for some of my family members, because of, I'm, because of who I was, she wasn't good enough or vice versa. Oh, I'm just here to steal her away. And people start questioning who we were, and, and we begin to get that caught up in our minds thinking, well, is this supposed to really happen? Am I supposed to really do this? Are we really supposed to be married? Because everybody else tells us that we're not. Everyone else is telling us that we're too young. And so we allow the voices and the people around us to dictate what God had already put in both of us. Right? And so this is where we're going on this morning. And, and as we look through Gideon, remember, he's reluctant. He's always questioning, and, and, and we'll see this cycle. Because remember, if for those who wasn't here last week, there's this cycle in the book of Judges where they go apostasy, where they leave God. They do their own thing. They start worshiping other gods. They become oppressed. And after oppression, they say, well, we need to repent because I'm trying to get out of this. And God sends a deliverer. The goal here for us and our walk is to learn from their mistakes, to stop allowing ourselves to get caught up in this idolatry, this idolic cycle and walk straight ahead and follow God. Straight ahead and follow God. So that's where we're going this morning. If you'll bow your heads in a word of prayer with me. Father God, we thank you. God, we love you. We praise you. We worship you for this opportunity to give you glory on this beautiful Sunday morning, God. I thank you for everyone in these seats, God. I pray that they can remove any distractions, turn off notifications to hear a word from you, God, that you will prepare 
their spiritual ears, God. I pray that uh, this word is relevant right now um, and that we can use this together, God, to walk in what you've called us to, in the direction you've called us to go. God, we love you. God, we thank you. And God, we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. And so if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Judges, we're going to start at chapter 6. And we'll start at verse 25. The book of Judges, chapter 6. If you're using the Bibles, there's Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you need a Bible, we're on page 206. Verse 25 reads, That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull, and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And so what's going on right now, for those who may be familiar with this story, is that God called our boy Gideon out. He said, hey, I've called you to, to bring the, these Israelites out of oppression. And he's like, I'm not good enough. He said, no, nah, I've called you. And then he builds an altar before this one. He builds an altar to God, affirming what God had told him to do, saying, OK, God, I'm on this road. Let's do this. And now he's instructing him. So the first part of this, usually what happens is it was when he says God is telling him to do something, you would immediately probably jump to verse 33. Like this part wouldn't be in the story, but there's some sin issues going on in his own backyard that God has to handle. And in order to take him to verse 33, in order to get him to, to chapter 7, he first has to handle what's going on in his own backyard. See, a lot of us are dealing with things, and, and God, we, we feel God has called us to something bigger than what we're doing now. It's like, God, I know that I'm supposed to be doing more, and God is saying, but I have to fix you where you're at right now, in the situation you're in right now, I got to fix your heart, fix what you're, so that when I give you this big picture, that you can handle it. But we want it now. We want it now. We want what we want. We want to be in control. We want to handle it now. And God is saying, no, I need this small thing to happen first. And in, in, in reality, if, if we can handle this at home, then everything else will be easy. Because handling this shows your trust in me. Handling this shows you that you are committed to me. And so God gives them instructions to tear down the, the altar of Baal. Baal is the, a fertility god, a storm rain god that they would pray to, that they would do sexual acts in the temple for more fertility. They were doing these things. They were worshiping this god. They said, hey, this is going to grow the cop, crops. This is going to allow more more babies and all this kind of stuff. This is, going, this is how we provide for each other. This God, the Asherah pole, kind of, it was an erected pole out of the ground. Sometimes they used trees. Sometimes they carved it out of wood, but it just surrounded this altar to complement. This is a goddess of fertility as well. And so they're worshiping these gods. And God says, before I can bring you out of the hands of the Midianites, I have to change your heart first. There is something in you in your own backyard that I have to remove so that we can go to the next step. We got to remove these idols in your life, those things that are separating you from God, those, those relationships that you have with people and places and things. He said, we got to remove those first. I know for some of us, it's hard to think because we don't naturally have Baals just built up in our backyards. Right? We don't have Asherah poles that we carved out of wood and we're not hanging them in our front yard. So we're thinking, well, what does that look like for us today? 
idols are different today. For some of us, idols look like this. They're tablets, they're computers, they're TV shows. Idols can be people. Idols can be relationship. Idols can be money. Idols look very different for a lot of us these days. I'll tell you one of my small idols, and I've brought it up uh, a few, probably a few months now, but I have grown an unhealthy addiction to my trolley jelly beans. So a few months ago, I talked about like, I really like these jelly beans, and I wanted them, and I ordered them off of Amazon, and, and they came in a five-pound bag of jelly beans. It is a lot of jelly beans. And I ate them in like a week, but they were good. I'm sorry. Yes, it's about a week. I, y'all laughing at that. Just wait. And a couple weeks later, I was like, ah, I started fiending. I wanted some more. And so I bought another bag. I ate those in like three days. Y'all, it's not healthy. You want, like, I... And this is, this, this is my unhealthy addiction to those. Now, I've come, come to a place with my wife and I, we have not arguments, but we have discussions. She's like, why do you keep buying these things? And I put them in my Amazon basket, and she takes them out. And, <laughs> right? And we have this back and forth. And I'm like, woman, you're not helping me. She said, but I am helping you. And oftentimes when there are idols in our life, we don't even realize that they're taking control and stuff. And we can laugh at this one, but there are other things that we become tied to financially, with our time, with our resources, with our giftings, that we're giving them all we have. And we're not giving God that part of us. I can't say I want to change physically and allow myself to to keep jumping into unhealthy habits. I can't say I want to grow spiritually and not allow myself to read my word more, to pray more, to have more relationship and draw closer to God. I can't say those things if I'm not willing to change. And it's not always easy, which we're about to see, because what God is instructing him to do is going against what everyone else in his neighborhood believes. And he built an altar to the Lord, it said, and built an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. Gideon's name literally means to cut. And so he's doing what God, literally, that's his name. He said, cut down this pole. The ironic part about this is that Baal's symbol is a bull. And so for him to take his father's bull, this mature seven-year-old bull, healthy bull, strong bull, how do we know it's strong? Because it, he's using it to pull down this altar, these, 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 this idol. He's, he's going to, he's telling him, use this. It's almost like a spit in the face kind of thing. Like, let you know that I'm not just replacing this. I'm reclaiming what's already mine. For, for some of us, we've allowed God to be replaced. And I walk with him and replace them with lowercase g gods. We've allowed these things to take control of us and consume us. And God is saying, no, we need to knock those things down. And I need to reclaim my throne in your life. In, my, in your relationship with me. But before I do that, you have to remove some things. I can't take you here until you get done here. Right? And so the first point is Gideon is, is instructed to tear down the altar. Ask yourself what altars in your life are consuming you. Because sometimes it's hard to see that the, these things are erected in your life. And so you need people like my wife to tell you that, hey, you're too many jelly beans, sir. 
too much time, too much screen time. You're watching the wrong shows. You're listening to the wrong music. See, some of us are dealing with things and we keep them secret and we don't want anyone to know, but there's sin in the secrets. And we think, well, we got it under control. We can, I can handle this. I can do this. I don't need anybody's help. God is saying, I need you to relinquish control and give it back to me because I need to reclaim my throne in your life. There are things in your life I need to take over. And the only way that can happen is if you give in and relinquish control because you're holding on to things that you don't need to be holding on to. That you're not able to handle on your own. God says, I want you back. So before I take you to the next step, let's first deal with this heart issue. So these are God's instructions. So in understanding, in order to get to a place, first you have to be willing to get to a place to, to, to understand this, what God is saying. He says, you have to listen first because I'm telling you what you need to do. We don't listen. The first part of this, forgetting, is instructions. He doesn't say just go. He doesn't push them out. He says there's instructions. Because if you don't do it the right way, you can mess up. Yesterday, uh, I had a great opportunity to hang out with almost like 30 young adults and play. It's a popular game in our church called Church Skyball. Crazy game. I can't explain it right now. Too many rules. <laughs> but at the beginning of every game, one of the things we do is go over the rules. In the middle of the game, we're usually fighting about the rules, right? Because there's a misunderstanding of the rules. When you don't understand the rules, it can mess up the, the whole thing. God is saying, I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to take you somewhere. I'm trying to reveal to you. But if you don't listen to what I'm telling you, you're going to get caught back up in this cycle of worshiping yourself, worshiping these other guys, thinking you have the control, and you don't. God said, let me do it. Let me take you there. Look at verse 27. He says, so Gideon took 10 men of his servants. And, and if you remember, before Gideon was, was saying, look, God, I'm not good enough. I'm the weakest of the weakest. Like, we ain't even got nothing. And this shows you already that Gideon had something because he got 10 servants. He had something. Oftentimes we're telling ourselves we're not good enough. We don't have anything. I can't do this. And God says, you have more than you think you have. So Gideon takes his 10 servants, and he did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. And so here Gideon, as soon as the Lord told him, his, his movement of speed, he did it the night God told him to do it. He wasn't doing it fast because he was like, I got to get this done. He was doing it fast because he was scared. He'd allow, he allowed fear to control his actions. The cool thing, though, about this is that where we can look past this is that his fear did not lead him to disobedience. He was still obedient even though he was afraid. And so I get it. It's scary thinking about what people will think and say and how they'll react to you when you tell them that you love God with everything in you. It's scary to think about, and some are saying, well, it's not scary for me. Well, who knows who God is in your life? Are we following his instructions by loving him with everything in us? Because remember, the only thing God told him is he said, keep me first. And they messed that up by worshiping these other gods. God says, am I first? How do I know that I'm first? What are the actions that prove that I'm first? Because remember, we're, you think about, we're, about, we're going to do a baptism here later on in this service. The baptism isn't what saves you, right? The baptism is an outward show of this inward change. So how are you outwardly showing 
of who God is in your life and how he's affected you and, and, and the things that he's done. Because I'll brag all day about how good my jelly beans are. I'll brag all day about how, 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 how smart my son is. I can brag all day about all these things in this world, but how often, how often am I bragging about what God has done for me? How he's changed my life, and, 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 and it's not just inward, but it's outward showing. Like, people see it. It's not just something's different. No, God is what's different, and I let it be known. I want people to know because we're trying to fill up heaven. This is what we are called to do. It's more than just a Sunday. It's more than just a Monday. This is our lifestyle wherever we go. So Gideon is afraid but still obedient. Gideon is afraid but still obedient. What can happen um, is we allow fear to control what we do. We allow what people think about us, how people view us, and what people will say about us and think about us to control who we are and what we'll do. Case in point, uh, my junior and senior year, you know how you have those, they vote like most beautiful, best dressed, class clown. They vote for these things. I don't know if they did, they, they did it in our high school, right? And this was like an epitome. It said who you was, like most popular, all these things. It, it like set the tone for what people thought about you. When you look at the yearbook, like what did I get voted, right? My junior and senior year, I made it into the book. Yes. yes. I was excited to be in the book. I just was excited to see my name to be voted for. Can y'all guess what I got voted for? Not class clown. I was shy. Let's try something else. Somebody else, throw something out. Not best looking. I was a nerd. I had glasses. I didn't even have good shoes, y'all. You know, I got voted, I, I got voted most likely to succeed. Look, you see, aww. Like, see, <laughs> These are the people that laughed at me. I was a nerd. Nobody wanted to be most likely to succeed. I was, I was like, oh, man, now people are just going to think I'm the smart guy. People are not going to like me no more. Like, that's what I thought. Not 20, and, and think 20 years later, I'm thinking, that's the best thing you can get. <laughs> 20 years ago, I'm not worried about that. But we, we think we know what God is doing. We, and, and, or or we, because of what God is doing, we can't really imagine how he's doing it. And we don't see the product and not understanding that God is telling him to knock these down for a reason. He's trying to change them inwardly. Like, like that's a good thing. You being boisterous for the God of the universe. You saying, I love God with everything in my heart and letting people know it. That's a good thing. You talking about what you love. That's a good thing. God wants that. Amen. People need that. And so when, with God taking us there, he's saying, I want more of you. You don't have to be embarrassed about me. He said, watch me work. It doesn't matter what they think about you. He said, because I got you. This is what he's reminding him over and over again. He said, I got you. He said, I got you. I can take you there if you allow me to take you there. I can reveal to you the plans, and, but you just have to do what I tell you to do. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, and, and, and this is, I, I like this when you think when the men of the town rose early in the morning, the first thing they did was they went to go worship their gods. And so they rolled out of bed. And for some of us, it's just a scrolling like, hmm, what they doing at six o'clock in the morning on Instagram or Facebook or social media or what's in the news? What happened in the world, around the world? Like, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? 
Is your response to, are you, are you praying? Are you getting in your word? Like, what's the first thing you do? Is God getting your time? Their first response was, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down. Their first thing they saw was their gods, torn down, messed up. God says, I want that. I want what, what you have first in the morning. He said, give me that. He said, wake up thinking about me. He said, think about me during your day. He says, walk with me and talk with me and watch me reveal some things to your life and show you what I'm trying to do. He says, start your day with me even if you're late. Be late for me and watch me fix everything. Because the world's doing it. The world wakes up and they worship their gods. We have to show God that we love him through our actions. Does he still love us? Does he? Yes, he loves us. He'll always love us. That's why he sent his only begotten son to die for our sins. God says, but I want more relationship with you. I want more of your time. I want more of your resources. I want more of you. And the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. A secret between ten ten men is not a secret at all. Somebody snitched. They told on Gideon. They figured it out. Gideon's fear for not wanting to do it in the daytime was that his dad and his brothers, his family, the people, the men in the neighborhood, the, the, the town, the city, that they were going to want to hurt him, that they were going to want to kill him because he knew, because what this revealed, it wasn't, it didn't reveal, it revealed what was in their hearts. They was all the way gone. Because one of the things you don't see here is what was in place, what, was, what had been replaced. They didn't see God. All they saw what was torn down. When my, my wife tells me, and she, she, she says, Joseph, she said, you need to leave those jelly beans alone, right? When she tells me those things, and she's like in my business, I'm like, why are you worried about me? It's not your body. It's my body. I'm going to work it off. Stop worrying about me. It's just jelly beans, right? But too often when we get caught up in our sin and people are calling, out, calling us out on our sin, we don't want to see it. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to do nothing to solve it. Because you can get caught up in your mess and your stress and say, this is me, and it becomes what's natural. It becomes what you do. This is just a part of me. This is who I am. I'm going to keep doing this because this is who I am. And we don't even care to see. We don't even like to see. It's not sin anymore. This is just a part of life. This is what happened. They didn't even see God anymore. All they saw that their gods have been torn down. Think about that thing. What could be removed from your life right now and how you would feel? Is it a job? What would happen if you lost your job? How would you react? How would you react? And I'm not, and I know some people think, well, if I lost my wife, I'm not saying we don't mourn the loss of our loved ones. What I'm saying is what are we allowing in our lives to become gods, to become idols, to, to control us, to consume us so much so that our relationship with God becomes more despair? more diluted. We become obedient to the other things and not obedient to God. Because the reality of it is, is partial obedience is still disobedience. 
that a, a, a sometimey relationship is not a relationship at all. I don't want a relationship with my wife where I don't get to talk to her, that I don't get to see her. I don't. And so where you are, God wants you. And it's okay to fear. It's okay to be scared because God's saying, now watch me work in your fear. When you take a risk on me, when you trust me, when you reveal yourself to me, when you're vulnerable with me. And this is what he did. He he pulled this down because he knew they were going to come for him. They were going to come for him. He knew their love for Baal and this Asherah God. Because what did they represent? Fertility. What was being removed by knocking down these idols? Their livelihood, who they were, was so much in the stuff that when it got removed, they was ready to kill them. And look who stands up for them. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Joash is his father, bring out your son that he may die. Joash was like the custodian for this altar. His family was called to maintain it. They did their research. They found out that Gideon had knocked it down. They're like, Joash, your son has to pay. We're going to kill him. The very thing that Gideon feared, this is it, came to fruition. The very thing he was scared of, they thought that. A lot of us, we fear how people will react because of our love of God. And if you're like me, you're a control, you like to be in control, you, you like to be able to handle the situation. You know, you, you like to know, okay, I, a lot of times, and this is just me, I walk in the room, I think, okay, where the exit's at? Like, I want to be able to control it. Someone's to pop off, you know, I need to be able to run the other way where everybody's not running. You know, I'm not trying to get trampled on, okay, where are my kids? I always have my eye on my kids. In first service, J4 was just up and around and, and throwing rocks. I had to correct him. Like, I'm always eyeing them. Always eyeing them. Like, I, I see them wherever we go. I'm watching. And, and where we are, God says, what are, you, what are you noticing where you're at in your life? Are you seeing how sin is creeping in? Are you noticing how your, your relationship with me is divulging and, and, and turning other ways because you're pursuing other things in your life? Pursuing other people in your life? You're not giving me all of you. You're not spending time with me. We can't expect to grow in God if we don't have a relationship with God. God says, I want more of you. I want to take you places, but it, it has to start with the heart. I have to be able to change some things. What can happen, and, and you'll notice in this situation, that idols consume and control. Idols, the purpose of idols are to ne- have you neglect your relationship with God, have you neglect your relationship with each other, and even have you neglect your relationship with self. Idols deter us from where God is trying to take us. And remember, you use, we use this word idols and, and gods and building of altars. It doesn't look thin, of course. It doesn't. So God said, I have to change what's in your backyard right now before I let you go out the front door and do the work of the ministry that I've called you to do. So one of the questions I want to ask, and this isn't even the end, but one of the questions I want you to really think, what's in your backyard? For some of us, it's not even in our backyard, it's in our closets because we hide it. It's secret. So what's in your closet? 
What is that thing that is separating you from God, your relationship, your, your growth? What is that thing that is consuming your time and your resources and your livelihood? And you're so focused on that thing, that person, that entity, whatever it may be, you're so focused on it that you're missing God that you're allowing it to control you and it neglects your relationship with God. It neglects your relationship with the people around you. It causes you to neglect your relationship with yourself. You're no longer the person that God created you to be. How are you messing up the image of God in your life with these things, these idols and these arrogant and self-preserving, self-preservation ways? Because that's what they wanted. They thought that serving this God was how they lived. And remember, at the beginning of this chapter, God sent a prophet to remind them of who God was in their lives and what God has done. Sometimes we need reminders because we have allowed things to erect in our lives, to come up and grow in our lives that are taking us away from who God is. And so God reminded them that he brought them out of Egypt And so while they were worshiping a a rain God, so to speak, God said, I didn't just make it rain water. I just, I let it rain food. Like the very essence of who you are is because of me. That's what God did. So we have to remind ourselves, who is the God of the universe and what is he doing for me in my life? Can I entrust him with everything? Can I take a risk on God? Yes, I can take a risk on God. And so this is what happened. He said, bring your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of all and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, will you contend for Baal? He's saying, will you defend the God that's supposed to be providing for you? The God that is supposed to be taking care of you, you're about to defend him because he needs you to defend him. Or will you save him? What kind of God is a God that needs to be saved by its those under him, the ones that worship him. What kind of God is that? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbaal, Baal, that is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. Gideon's name changed to Jerubbaal. Jerubbaal, these names. All it means is that the one who cuts down Baal, right? And see, this is, this is bigger because than just a name change. What this name change means, it shows the, the impotence, the, the lack of godness really in Baal. His name change says Baal can't defend himself. God is looking to, to change your name. You see, when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, when you do that, now what God sees is no longer Joseph. He sees the Jesus that resides in me, that Holy Spirit, that acceptance. That's what is seen. There has to be a change. What are you replacing? Because God instructs, like, if I take something away from your life, I'm about to put something in it, and it has to be me. Because if you don't fill this void with God, it's going to be filled with something else. It's going to be filled with something else probably stronger, something that distracts you even more and takes you even further away from who God is. So when God replaces, 
when God takes away and he changes something in you, he's saying, I want you to wear my name tag wherever you go. Externally, people should know whose you are because of how you act, how you react in situations. Because when you, you think about these people, they, they're, they're the Israelites, they're the chosen people. They, they were defending their gods. When you begin to defend your sin, that's how you know you're too far gone. I'm literally telling my wife, trying to convince her, look, I'm not going to eat all five pounds in two days. I, don't, I know I don't need all of them. I, I just need, like, you can do the bags yourself, knowing that if I can get her to order the five-pound bags, I can just eat them all whenever I want. Right? But we begin to defend our sin as if it's okay. We get caught in it, and we're like, I'm all right. I can control this. I can, do, I can do this. I can handle this. I'm okay. And you're not. God wants you right where you're at. So my question for you today is, what altars need tearing down in your life? Well, I joke, I do need to eat healthier and cleaner and all that kind of stuff. There are things in my life that I need to remove and fill it up more with God. Fill in the blank. What is your altar? What's erecting in your life that is separating you from God? And if you don't know, ask somebody close to you. I'm sure they can tell you what's wrong with you. People look to tell you what's wrong with you. But what is it in your life that needs to be removed, that needs to be torn down and taken away? Right? And, and how do you grow in your relationship with God? And so this is an opportunity for us to do communion. You see these little cups in the, in the seats in front of you. And I think about Joe Ash and how he stepped in after realizing, you know what, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was worshiping the wrong God. Maybe I was doing, maybe we, we weren't right and maybe I messed it up and he defended his son. See, that was a broken father. That was a messed up father. I'm here to tell you that God, our Father, is not broken. He's not messed up. And he, he knows the plans that he has for you. He knows your life. And he knows your story. And he knows how messed up we really are. And I'm grateful that even in my brokenness that God can continue to use me. That even in my brokenness and my messed upness and in my issues, and God still chases after me. God still wants me, Joseph. Right where you are, if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is an opportunity for you to do that. If you're wondering how we can smile even through the pain, knowing that things are hurting right now, it's because of who Jesus is in our life. It's because of what God has already done in our lives. And so right now we'll take 30 seconds before we take communion together to repent, to ask God for forgiveness for those idols we've allowed to creep up. And as you're praying to God, asking him to forgive you for those sins. My prayer is that you actually, I don't know, write them down. Tell somebody to help you so you're not doing them by yourself. Gideon literally got 10 men and a bull to pull down this massive God, this idol, this altar that was up in their life. He pulled it down with help. Not perfect help, because they snitched, but they was help. You're surrounded around people that, imperfect people, there's not one of us that is perfect in here. But I am grateful that Jesus Christ 
lived a perfect life for an imperfect person to die on the cross that was my cross to die on. He did that knowing my sins from yesterday, knowing my sins from today, and even knowing my sins from tomorrow. He still died on that cross. And so as you take a few seconds, just pray. Ask God for forgiveness. Think about those things that are distracting you, that are deterring you. During the outside service, um, I told y'all Jay Ford was like throwing rocks and sticks. And literally in the middle of the service, I had to correct them. Oftentimes, fathers do that to their sons. They correct them. Fathers do that to their children. They correct them. Then afterwards, J4, I can see him run off to the side, and I'm trying to preach. And I'm like, I'm, but I know where he's going because before service, I asked somebody to come get him to take him to children's ministry. But after service, somebody said, well, hopefully you can find your son. He just ran off. You see, oftentimes people think they know your story and they don't know what God is doing. And God said, I set up provisions and I've provided, so you need to stop trying to be in control of it. He said, I'm daddy, I'm father, and I got you. He said, you don't have to worry about what people think because they don't know your story and they don't know what I'm doing with your story. They don't know where I'm taking you and what I'm taking you through. And what he's taking you through is designed to help grow you. But remember, we have to fix what's in our own house, in our own backyards, what's in our hearts before God can take you out to do the, the, the stuff that he's called you to do. And so as you leave this place, as you walk away, as you walk out the door on this morning, remember who God is. We can forget too often when everything is good and everything is easy that God brought us out of something. God, God brought us out of darkness. God brought us into the light. And so remember what he brought you out of, what he's brought you, to, brought you from. And watch God begin to show you and reveal where he's trying to take you and what he has for you to do. God will show you. God will show you. Remember that. Remember that God got you right where you're at. So I want you to go have an awesome week of worship. You are saved.